Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Questo suono dal Sud America fino giù in Senegal, profumo d'Africa nella Nuova Guinea. La sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia, riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced we have the best fans in the world, so I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can speak their minds, and this way you, the listeners, can hear some opinions and viewpoints that are different than my own. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're going back to the UK for today's episode. I almost said Italy because I thought our guest was still living in Italy, but we'll get into that in just a second. We have another guest who does not actually need this platform to express his views because he has one of his very own. He is the host of the excellent, excellent Napoli Talk show on YouTube. You can find him on Twitter at Napoli Talk and on Instagram at Official Napoli Talk. Dom, welcome to Forza Napoli. Wow, what a great introduction. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Can't wait. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm, I'm very excited about today's episode. I'm a big fan of the show. You do great work promoting the club and English-speaking shows are, are not that easy to find for Napoli, which you know all too well, and we're going to get to that in just a second. We've got a jam-packed episode for today. We're going to review our win over Spezia on Saturday. We're also going to preview our midweek fixture against Udinese. That game is on Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday. But as always, we always start with our guest story. I think your story might be a little bit different than the average one. But I'll hand it over to you, Dom. How did you become a Napoli fan? So actually, my family is from Naples and I was born in Naples. So 100% Napolitano. But uh, when I was five or six, uh, my family, we, we moved abroad. So I spent eight years in Asia between Malaysia, Singapore and Indonesia. Then I went to France for five years and then I moved to the UK for studies. And now I work here. So... I've been traveling to different countries 
supporting Napoli along the way. And uh, I used to go back to Na- Napoli uh, every you know summer, every winter. So I would get a chance to see all the games in those periods, in the Christmas periods especially, all the preseason friendlies. But I, I didn't get the chance to s- follow throughout the whole season. And when I was abroad... Um, it, it was especially when I was younger and in Asia, it was so difficult finding streams and finding, you know, a, a TV that would show Napoli because back then we were in Serie C or Serie B. So, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting, but uh, just made it so much better when I went back to Napoli and I could go watch the games live. So do you still have family there now that, that you visit when you go back? Yeah, yeah, I've still got family there, I've still got... Uh, my uncle's a big Napoli fan, so he has season tickets, and uh, I try to go in with him every time I go. I try to get in two or three games a season, uh, which is quite nice. I think my earliest memory of uh, the San Paolo, how it was called back then, it must have been a Coppa Italia game when we were still in Serie C, so back in 2004, 2005, and yeah, since then, I try to go two or three times every year. That's cool that, that you managed to keep up with it. And obviously such a big fan that you started your own show. So tell me about how Napoli Talk started. How did that come about? So it's basically it started off with me binging a lot of YouTube because of the coronavirus pandemic. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in, for example, Formula One and stuff like that. And I saw that there's a lot of content post-race about that kind of stuff where they analyze, you know, the race and, and people can talk about it. And I thought... There needs to be something like this for Napoli. And I wish there was because I want to interact with more Napoli fans. And I really want video content. So obviously there's your podcast. There's other things on Twitter going on. But there was nothing really on video format. And so I, you know, I was waiting, kind of waiting for it to pop up, waiting, waiting. And then I thought, you know what, I think I, think I need to take the initiative here. And so it just started off in that way and it's been a great creative outlet for me and a great way to meet lots of really cool new people and yeah, I'm having loads of fun with it and it's it's quite nice I like it yeah I know what that's like I think in that sense this podcast and your show have kind of followed the same path where for me it was a similar situation what do I how do I fill my time during the early days of COVID? And I was, I started writing a little bit and that was okay, but I felt like I just had too much to say and writing wasn't doing enough for me. So I, I went with the podcast and it's grown from there. And I've seen that, that your show has, has continuously grown and it's evolved. And to the point now where, where we were talking about this just before we came on, where you're now going live right after matches, which is a lot of fun. And you get that interaction with fans that are commenting on the side and, that's a different dynamic, definitely something that's probably more challenging. What's better or worse with the original videos that you were doing, which are more like my podcast, which are recorded and you have the ability to edit versus going live? So with the original videos, it was, you know, me just talking in front of a camera and then posting it. And then the only interaction I would get from other fans is through the comment section um, and that was, you know, trickled in a few comments at a time, but you can't really get a community conversation going. It was just a one-to-one with a specific comment uh, that someone made. And then I started going live because I wanted a more of a community vibe around the around the show where we could all comment on the same thing at the same time and share ideas about it and 
you know, they would ask me something, I would reply, and then they can reply to what I said in the chat and other people can put in their opinion as well. That's really fun and I really enjoy doing that. And also it's it's great when you go live because the things that you talk about are the things that they want you to talk about. People will ask you specific questions so you know that your content is reflecting what the demand is at that particular point as opposed to maybe making a video talking five minutes about something and maybe no one was interested in you talking about that or maybe you missed out on something that people were interested in. So it's quite fun. It's it's a better community now that I've gone live. Yeah, and I think it's nice too that obviously, again, going back to COVID, we've kind of lost that social interaction that we were used to in a pre-COVID world and we're kind of emulating it a little bit with this online network. And I agree, even with some of the shows where I've had guests uh, or occasionally I've had more than one guest, even though it's maybe a little bit difficult to do online, you do get a bit more of a natural discussion than on a solo episode where you kind of have to script it because it's not easy to talk by yourself, right? That's something that took me a while to get used to. One thing I love about your show and the reason why I highly recommend that everybody check it out is the, the tactical analysis that you do. And that's something you do pretty rapidly during game halftime and whatnot so that you can go live shortly after the game ends. So let's talk a little bit about that and chat about the Spezia game. And I think that'll give the listeners a good sense of what your show is all about. And I think the best way to do that is to go through each goal and then we'll cover some key talking points at the end. So we won this match 4-1. to Piotr Zielinski opened the scoring in the 15th minute. What did you think about that goal? That was, I think, a great play by Napoli, especially from Giovanni Di Lorenzo. But one thing that I mentioned in my show was the amount of time that Spezia allowed Napoli players to play the passes in behind them. And so I, I took an example of a situation before the goal of how I think it was I think it was Politano that had the ball and you had Fabian Osimen, Zielinski and Insigne all making runs. And the closest player to Politano was a few feet or a few meters away. It just made it so easy for him to potentially put that ball in behind Spezia. And we saw that with the first goal that we scored, where Di Lorenzo has the ball, and the closest Spezia player is a few meters, a few feet away. So he's got the time to pick out Osimen, long ball in behind a Spezia super high line, which I don't understand why you would play that against Osimen. But that allows Napoli to skip all the midfielders that Spezia have put up against us and you know Osimen is stretching everyone up and then you've got a situation where Di Lorenzo is coming in you know after Osimen passes it to Politano Di Lorenzo follows the action and basically you know he's traveling down that flank cuts it back for Zielinski and Zielinski finds himself with a, a bit of movement not entirely due to Spezia's lack of good defending but also thanks to Zielinski's movement he finds himself free in the box and is able to score the first crucial goal. But uh, it all starts, I think, with Spezia allowing Napoli the time on the ball. So that's a sort of little tactical insight that I try to bring into the show. Yeah, I think those are two common themes. They they give us way too much space on the ball, and playing a high line against a player like Osimhen, you're just asking for trouble. I completely agree. Huge contribution from Giovanni Di Lorenzo on that play. 
starts with a long ball and then follows it up, as you said, with the run down the line. And I didn't even realize that until I saw, I think it was our friend Rafferispo that posted a, a clip of it and just kind of highlighted that because it, he kind of goes off camera after the long ball was played. And then you see Di Lorenzo bolting down the line. There was some early signs that Osiman was was really feeling it in this match. Only a few minutes prior to that goal, he had that play where he intercepted the pass from Vignali and, and he took it on his own, cut to his right, and just missed the far post. And so we saw, okay, he's looking good. And then he wins the long ball there, plays it back to Politano. So one thing I was curious to know what you think is, I find that the partnership of Di Lorenzo with Politano tends to work a little bit better because Politano cuts in on his left foot. It opens up that overlap, which we saw in this play. And it's not to say that I don't like Chucky Lozano. I love Lozano and they're both great. But how do you feel about that and the option that you get by playing Politano on the right wing instead of Lozano? Yeah, that's something that I've noticed as well, and I've brought it up in some of the lives because it was a moment where Di Lorenzo was getting a lot of criticism, and it happened to be a moment where we were playing Lozano quite a lot, and people were thinking, what's going on with Di Lorenzo? He's not going down the flank, he's not assisting, he's not contributing, and I was telling people, well, you know, if Lozano's occupying that flank, where does Di Lorenzo go? So when he plays with Politano, who likes to cut inside, as you said, he's got that room down the flank to exploit. And I think, you know, as you said, there's no right or wrong solution. I think that it all depends on the opponent that we have in front of us. There's going to be some cases where you want Di Lorenzo to go down that flank and Politano to cut inside. Other times, you know, you want someone that stretches defenses out running with the ball. So you want Lozano to get past, you know, the opposition left back with the ball and stretch it out that way. And I think having two completely different players on that flank just makes it so difficult for teams because, you know, if one thing works for them, then we just try something else and then maybe that will work. As I said, there's no right or wrong. We've got just a great advantage that we've got these two brilliant solutions because both are great. And I think right now, though, the Politano one seems to be working better because we have both him and Di Lorenzo on form. You know, if you get maybe Di Lorenzo with a bit less form, then maybe you think, oh, let's play Lozano so that, you know, Di Lorenzo, because he's not playing too well, then we can play Lozano instead. But yeah, we've got the option, which is great. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a luxury to have two good options. And you took the words from my mouth. I was going to say it's not just about the in-game adjustments, which are useful as well. If one thing's not working, we can switch to the other, but also form, as you mentioned. And lately, Politano's been in form. Lozano hasn't been himself, let's say, since he returned from that injury. So you go with the player that, that's working well. So Politano plays the ball to Di Lorenzo. I thought that his first touch was a little bit heavy and maybe he wasn't going to get there, but he managed to keep it in. And as you pointed out, Zielinski, yes, Pretty poor marking there, but he did well. He saw the play developing, made the run to the near post, and then the calm finish to put us ahead. Eight minutes later, Osimen doubles the lead. What happened there on the second goal, Dom? So that second goal by Osimen was a brilliant piece of movement by him. I mean, well, Napoli first off recovered the ball. And very quickly, Zielinski, he already knows it's something that's worked for in the training ground. 
he knows that Osimhen is going to be in the right position in between the center backs with the whole field in front of him. So he just has to lob the ball forward. And Osimhen's speed is able to bring him past the defenders. But it's not just the speed, it's his movement to what we say in Italian, mezzaluna, the half moon movement, where you go from one side of one of the central defenders and you make a half moon sort of shape and you get in between the two. Now you're on the other, you're on the defender's other side. And this causes them to have to shift their feet around. It makes them lose even more time. And you've got Osiman running in between and his speed takes him right in front of the goalkeeper. And at that point, you can just feel how clever he is because he opens up his body as if he's going to shoot far post, takes a look at that far post, and then he shoots first post and the keeper, he's dove the wrong way and the ball goes in. So great movement, but also great finishing and awareness by Osiman. Absolutely. And the other thing about that movement is that he was playing right along the halfway line. So if he goes too soon, he could put himself offside, but by making that half moon shape, he stays on just long enough for Zielinski to play that pass. Beautiful pass by Zielinski. Both the first touch, he controlled the ball beautifully, setting up the second touch, which was the long ball, outside of his boot, plays it into space for Osman to run onto. No more of this playing to Osman's feet with his back to the goal. I think we finally figured, it took us a long time, but we finally figured out that Osman and Petania are completely different players and we need to play the ball ahead of him and let him use that pace. Osiman's first touch, I don't know if it's getting better or if it's just always been fantastic. He did it in two of the goals, one of them that he scored, the other one that he assisted on, where that first touch is so crucial and it's so difficult to do when you're sprinting full speed. And that really sets up the play for him. You mentioned his footwork. He, After that touch, he adjusted his feet, kind of looked off the keeper and then finished at the near post. I do also think that Emir Rahmani deserves a bit of credit on, on this goal. He stepped up and blocked the shot. I think it was Majore that took the shot, if I'm not mistaken. And that then led to that counterattack. And we'll come back to Rahmani in just a bit. I'd just like to say, now that you mentioned also Osiman and you know what he was doing, I'd just like to say, if you remember the goal against Kayeri, where he's had to shrug off Godin, while he's making that first touch and then shoot, it just goes to show how much that guy can do first touch while running. I mean, he does so many things at the same time, and it's so underrated, his his technique, because it, it might seem at times almost goofy, like he's falling over, or but actually, you know, at that speed or when he's shrugging off defenders, he's able to keep control of the ball and shows what a striker he is. Yeah, and, and we'll get to the fourth goal in just a second because we saw more of it again. They're even more than on the second goal. But I agree. I think maybe he can sometimes look a little bit goofy just because of his size as well. He's a very tall player for a striker that it's kind of like seamy but not that tall where they're so big that it looks a little bit awkward when they're they're running. But to do all of that and then you add the fact that he just turned 22, <laughs> it's it's unbelievable and, and a lot of exciting uh, things to look forward to for Napoli fans. He also scored the third goal. This was from a set piece, no less. You don't see that often from Napoli scoring from set pieces. How did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> we don't we don't score much from set pieces, but it was definitely something that was worked in the training round because 
Osimen, he made a movement and Insigne, I think it was, that lobbed the ball to him, knew exactly where he needed to put that ball. And again, we go back to Osimen being able to do so many things at once. He's able to make the right movement at the right time. And, you know, the Spezia players, they had no idea that he was going to make that run. He made it and he controls the ball, turns around and then volleys it. It's such a difficult piece of skill to pull off. Keep the ball hard, but underneath the crossbar. It's just incredible. It's such a good goal and it shows what a talent uh, he is and what we can expect from him now that he's you know, on form. We can expect hopefully some of this next season as well and for the remaining three games, obviously. <laughs> Of course, and you mentioned this on your show that, once again, not to take any credit away from Osimhen, because again, very nicely taken goal, but the defending was just dreadful from Spezia here. We had Giassi and Maggiore marking four players, Fabian Deme, Di Lorenzo, and Osimhen, all in the area. There were a couple of other players, I think Ricardo Marquizza was supposed to pick up that run, he kind of half-attempted it, but... By the time he even realized what happened, Osman was already beyond his reach. And then, like you said, great control with his chest, turn shot, back of the goal. If I'm a Spezia fan, I'd probably be a little bit upset with the foul that was called there that led to the free kick. I, I suppose it was a high boot and therefore a dangerous play, but Di Lorenzo also sold that foul a little bit on the replay. In real time, it looked like Giassi might have caught Di Lorenzo with his boot. But on the replay, you can see that he actually caught the ball and the ball hit Di Lorenzo. So I don't think he was maybe, you know, pretending like he got hurt. I think it was just the ball that hit him instead of the boot. But at the end of the day, I don't think it would have mattered anyway. We did concede one goal in the 64th minute. 20-year-old Roberto Piccoli scored for Spezia, who I actually thought was going to get the start, and I'm glad he didn't. What happened on this goal, though? Well, this one, I think, was a reflection of how Napoli started the second half. You know, we were winning 3-0, and I think there was a lack of both concentration and a lack of, I wouldn't say desire, but almost, because we were second best to that cross that came in. You had Insigne trying to win a header, which is the last guy you want on your team trying to win a header, and it's because his eye didn't get into position close enough near Rahmani to be the one that would challenge for the header. Maybe he wouldn't have got to it anyways but it would have been a bit more challenging for Spezia to do that and um, you know Merit pulled off a good save but it bounced back into the feet of a Spezia player but in that second half when you're winning 3-0 you expect Napoli to just lower the tempo control it and if you are going to concede crosses there's no reason to have Insigne have to rush back and try to cover I mean you're winning 3-0 your defense should be solidly positioned but that wasn't the case and I'm gonna go a bit off topic here but if there's one thing that Gattuso hasn't got right this season it's his management of the game especially in the second half when we're in winning positions and you know sometimes it hasn't cost us like against Spezia but there's a lot of times where it has you know and I think back to maybe the Sassuolo Napoli game where we conceded a goal in the final seconds it's just in that game, Bakayoko, instead of clearing the ball, tries to do something fancy with it. And it's just bad management of the situation. And, you know, Napoli in that second half should have been more in control and not allowed Spezia back into that. Yeah, and not to mention bringing Manolas off the bench with 
I don't know, four minutes left to play as well, right? That's I wouldn't necessarily blame Gattuso for a, a player mistake, but that one, the substitution, that's entirely on, on Gattuso there. On this goal, I, I agree with what you said on your show that you want to see Hisai move more into the center of the field and let Insignia pick up the man on the wing, not the reverse. It's the second week in a row, second match in a row where Hisai's, I guess you can say, at fault for a goal, although I don't entirely blame him for the goal against Cagliari. I, I think that's partly on Elmas as well because I don't think Hisai even knew that Nandez was behind him on that play. You mentioned the save by Meret. Excellent reaction save, but I would have liked him to push that to safety not back into the danger area but you know it's that's a bang bang type of play it's probably a lot easier for me to sit here and say that he should have done than than is actually happening on the field um one of the things that i said in my preview was that i wanted to see us play in a mid block and the reason for that was because we know that vincenzo italiano likes to have playmakers on the field his famous thesis is that he wants 10 playmakers so everyone can pass the ball around so I didn't necessarily want us to press too high because I was concerned that they would be able to pass out of that and I think for the most part we did well we didn't press high too often or usually was Osaman just chasing people down because he's so quick but that's what happened on this play where Fabian stepped up and then Diego stepped up on the ball Diego Demme pressed on the ball and Politano kind of misread the pass a little bit and that left this huge gap in the midfield for Marquita to run through. He he ran straight down the middle of the field. He plays the ball out wide to Giassi, and that leads to the cross. So, you know, I think that was an area where we could have probably done better even in the midfield leading up to the goal. But I can't really complain too much. You know, it wasn't a good goal to concede, but we only allowed three shots in the on target in the entire match. Two of them were on this play. Those were the actual first shots on target from Spezia in the entire match. So... You know, when you do that, you're going to get good results. Chucky Lozano put the game away in the 79th minute. Again, Osimen, fantastic assist. What were your thoughts on this goal? This goal, I was super impressed by Osimen because you have to think it's the final minutes of the game and he's still got that desire and speed and awareness and, and lucidity to be onside and he's the one that's calling the pass from Mairo Rui. Mairo Rui is obviously brilliant in picking out a pass, but essentially you can just put it anywhere in front of Osimen and he's going to get to it. But then once Osimen gets to it and you know he's he's running with it, he's able to as he's running full speed look and see to his right that Lozano is coming in and to be able to do that and at that point in the game, that's what impressed me because he must have been so tired. But to be able to see Lozano run and pick out a pass, and it was also very unselfish of him as well because he was on a hat-trick. So, yeah, it was great. And I think he knew that Lozano needed a goal. This was a good opportunity for Lozano to score, and he did, thankfully for us. Yeah, I think we all agree on that. Incredibly unselfish play. Again, we mentioned that first touch to get there. Lovely ball by Rui, but you're right. You just put that ball ahead of Osimen, and he's going to be the first one to get there. You know, I think some people on Twitter thought I was suddenly praising Mario Rui because I, I credited him with making a nice pass. He, he can give him credit where it's due. It was a nice pass. That doesn't mean I don't think we need another left back. We definitely do. And you're right. The vision to pick out Lozano's run there. You mentioned on your show that he probably heard Lozano calling for it. And then, you know, Lozano had a little bit of work to do. Not much. Tapped it into the empty goal. And I, I do think... Either 
Osman was just being unselfish or he really was trying to get a goal for Lozano because he knows that his confidence might be down a little bit. He hasn't scored, I think, since January 24th against Hellas Verona, the 3-1 loss. That's a long time for a player who's accustomed to scoring to go without scoring a goal. So hopefully that'll get Lozano's confidence uh, back up. So those are all of the goals. Let's get to a couple of talking points from this match. I think we've probably covered most of it already with the goals, but Victor Osman was the story of this match. Do you have anything to add about his performance? Yeah, I just wanted to highlight two things, actually. I think his defensive work is so underrated. And you mentioned it when he intercepted that pass at the very start of the game. You know, that is really good defensive work, getting in between the line of passes. And so many of his goals actually have come with him contributing to recovering the ball. And I think it was the case in the previous game or the one before um, where he intercepted the ball and and ran with it. Um, So his defensive work was really great you know I think we spoke enough about his you know movement with the ball and then the other stat that I wanted to bring up is his shot accuracy is also really really high so I just had a look and he's got one goal for every six shots that he takes that's the same level as Ciro Immobile and Ciro Immobile had 36 goals last season so he's got a bit less uh you know this season with with 19 but we're talking about a player that if you give five shots, okay, he might miss, but then that one he will score, and that's actually quite good. And the ones that he doesn't score from, actually, most of them are on target. It's very rare to see Osimen miss the target. I think more often than not, he's going to hit the target. And yeah, that's that's one thing that I wanted to point out is he's a, he's a really, really good striker, and the type of goals he scores are not tap-ins. He contributes the play and... He can shoot from from any position. doesn't have to be tap-ins. So, uh, yeah, really excited about Osimhen. Yeah, and one thing I keep reminding people, I don't need to remind Napoli fans of this, but you still see a lot of people saying that we overpaid for him at 70 million euros. But there's so many things he does beyond just scoring goals. You mentioned how he comes back and helps out on the defensive end of the field. With Immobile, that's a guy that's been scoring goals at, a high level for four or five years now at least and and he's done that even that 19 goals he's done that while still missing quite a few games he, he had a weird thing with COVID earlier in the year so to be producing at the same level as one of the top scorers in this league is is unbelievable it's his first doppietta his first brace for Napoli he now has 10 goals on the season Lozano joined him on double digits with his goal and Mertens and Politano are both on nine so they have a chance to get there as well. It seems like Politano is probably the more likely of the two to get to double digits with Mertens going off injured again. I read he had therapy uh, on Monday and he will be evaluated daily. So hopefully that means it's not that serious of an injury. But back to Osman, he's absolutely on fire now. He scored eight goals in the 11 games since he returns from that head injury that caused him to miss the Sassuolo and the Benevento games. That means he's averaging a goal every 80 minutes during that stretch. So more than a goal a game. And he also added two assists during that period. Uh, and the last... Cagliari goal should have should have. Right, and, that's right. And he should have had another goal against Cagliari that uh, we won't relive that. But <laughs> that's absolutely right. The last thing I want to talk about in this match was the play of our two center backs. I, I was concerned about the prospect of playing without Koulibaly. 
our record with Okulibali this season heading into this match was three wins, two draws, and two losses, which is quite poor. Ten points dropped when he's not in the lineup. Rachmani and Manolas had barely played together heading into this one. I thought it was 49 minutes, but it was actually even less than that. I forgot that Manolas got hurt in that Udinese game, which so I thought they played a full half together. It wasn't even that. It was only 16 minutes in that game, and then they played those four minutes of that Sassuolo match. So they wouldn't have had any chemistry and neither of those games went particularly well that they did play together obviously you know Rachmani had the pass back where Kevin Lasagna intercepted and scored for Udinese when he still played before he moved to Hellas Verona and then Manolas conceded the penalty in the Sassuolo match but I thought they were actually pretty good in this one what did you think? It's very difficult to judge a a center back partnership off of basically one game that they played together especially I think when it's against a team like Spezia that only had three shots and uh, two of them came basically in the same moment. So I wouldn't say, you know, because they were relatively solid against Spezia, then, you know, we're fine for the next three games. We've got, for example, something that worries me a lot is the Fiorentina game where you've got Vlajlovic, which is, you know, he's he's on fire. So I think the Spezia is probably the easiest of the four games they'll probably have to play together. So I wouldn't rush into a conclusion as to whether this partnership is going to work out or not. It is very interesting, though, because I think next season, regardless of whatever happens with Koulibaly, I don't want to enter that, but definitely Rahmani is going to see more game time, and for sure we're going to get more Rahmani manolas games. So it's going to be interesting uh, for next season as well. But regarding Spezia, yeah, it's very difficult to make a judgment. I don't think they defensively had much to do, but what I did like was in the build-up of the play, I thought that they were actually quite good and they complemented each other. I think in the first goal, something that doesn't get talked about enough is, or just in general in the build-up in the first half, is the amount of passing that the defenders did between each other. So going from Di Lorenzo to Manolas to Rahmani to Isai and back and forth. So basically, Napoli, they were moving the ball around quite well. And it allowed Napoli to move the Spezia forwards, left to right, left to right. And that's what ultimately allowed, at times, Di Lorenzo the time to pick out passes because you would tire the Spezia forwards. And then suddenly, one of those four would free up. So they were good in their passing, not too many mistakes. But we'll see. I'm not going to comment on on how good of a partnership they are just based off Spezia. I think it, it would be it would be a bit naive of me uh, not to be pessimistic, but I mean, they're, they're quality players, though. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think we also saw Meret touch the ball quite a bit at the back as well, and he looked a lot calmer on the ball, which was nice to see. We talked about that period at the beginning of the second half where we eased up a little bit, and I think Manolas stepped up on a few incidents there. He, there was one play early in the half where Agudelo got behind him and he recovered well, managed to make the tackle in the area without conceding the penalty. There was another play where um, he won the ball off Majora. This was on the chance that Politano had that he, he shot the ball over the bar. It started with Manolas winning the ball back. Demet plays a quick pass out to Politano and, and we get a scoring chance. And then later in the second half, just before the goal, Manolas made a really nice slide tackle on, I believe it was Agudelo in front of the the goal, and and that one went out for a corner kick. So I agree, you know, probably too early to judge. Vlahovic is a scary player. Rodrigo De Paul is a scary player. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So maybe let's not get too hyped up about that partnership. Yeah, I'd just like to say that 
While I think both Rahmani and Manolas had good individual performances, as you said, they've, you know, even even Rahmani, there's a lot of shots blocked. For example, that second goal that we scored came from a Rahmani block shot. And just in general, he, he was really good at recovering the ball, even in advanced areas of the field, you know, in, in the attacking half, uh, he pushed forward. Uh, my only concern is about sustained attacks and just keeping you know the right distances between each other in crosses in you know when they start playing one twos around you that's something that I wouldn't say worries me I'm not going to be that dramatic but it's something that we it wasn't tested yet with this partnership definitely not against Spezia so it's a big question mark going into the next games and you know as I said we're going to have people that are a bit tougher a bit tougher clients than what we saw against Spezia. So, yeah, individually, great players, great performances, but they weren't maybe tested as a defensive unit entirely. Um, yeah, for me, the one thing that I was concerned a little bit about was not so much the quality of Manolas and Rachmani. I think they're both good players. I was just concerned that they're not Koulibaly. And... They don't have that athleticism that Koulibaly has, and Koulibaly covers up a lot of mistakes that his counterparts on the back line make, especially at left back. And, you know, with Rachmani not being as athletic as Koulibaly, I was a little bit worried about that, that we could be exposed on wing. But Spezia had so little of the ball that it wasn't a real threat. So we'll see how these, these upcoming matches go. Udinese we're going to talk about in just a second. Fiorentina have been a lot better lately, especially with Vlahovic on form, and then the Hellas Verona match is an interesting one. I, I think they have the quality that, I mean, we know that we lost 3-1 to them already this season, but it's going to be a pretty meaningless game for them. Hopefully, even the next couple will be meaningless. I think Udinese are just about there as far as survival goes. They're nine points clear of Benevento in the final relegation spot, and I believe they're head-to-head. They're basically tied Benevento won the first meeting 2-0, and then Udinese won the second one 4-2, so they're 4-4 on head-to-head goals. But then the next tiebreaker is goal differential, and Udinese is miles ahead just because Benevento are, are so poor there. So let's talk about this Udinese game. Have you watched Udinese play much this year? I've watched a few of their games. I've watched the most recent games. I've watched some of their highlights. I watched snippets of the game against uh, Juventus and... Yeah, they are a team that I think is so unpredictable. And you can just see it in their form, actually. I, I think trying to predict a Udinese scoreline or a result is just impossible. But you get that from the teams that are 9th to 12th. You know, it's like they'll win half and lose half or win a third, lose a third and draw a third. And it's just impossible to predict. So it's going to be an interesting game against Udinese. Yeah, they're a tough team. They play very deep, which can make them difficult to break down. They're coming off a draw to Bologna, which was a match I thought they probably deserved to win. They were far more attack-minded than you would expect if you know how Luca Gotti has set this team up to play. I think that's partially because of the way that Bologna play, and they spread the ball out, and that creates space to run into. Rodrigo De Paul did just that on the goal that he scored. Dare I say a goal that reminded me of another Argentinian footballer who plays in La Liga. Quick touches while sprinting, followed by the finish with the outside of his boot to the far post, was very Messi-esque. 
Juan Musso conceded a late penalty for a foul on Rodrigo Palacio, so that game finished 1-1. And that was the second disappointing result for Udinese in a row. Of course, they lost their previous match to Juventus. They had the lead in that match up until the 83rd minute, and then Juve got a bit of a fortunate free kick, or a very fortunate free kick, depending on who you ask. That leads to a handball by DePaul in the area. Then Cristiano Ronaldo puts a Juve past uh, Simone Scuffet, who was in goal because Juan Musso was suspended for that match in the 89th minute, and I think Musso might have done better on that play. It was raining, so the field was slick, and, and the ball got between Scuffet's legs. But Udinese did play in a low block for that match, which is what I'm expecting from them in this one so with that let's get to the starting lineups dom do you want to uh, give me your starting 11 for napoli yeah i think we're gonna see roughly the same formation i think the only change we're gonna see is Rui instead of his eye i do think that as you said udinese will play a bit of a low block and i think you want Rui in there at left back because I think although Udinese play a low block I think one of their weaknesses is on crosses and I think having someone that can whip the ball in for Osimhen I think that could be a key moment or a key point in the game and actually we we scored our winner against Udinese with a Bakayoko header earlier in the season you know Ronaldo scored the header against them so I do think that it's a bit of a weakness that they might have and that we could exploit. And I think Maidorui with his left foot could be a bit more dangerous than Izai. And as you said, Izai maybe was at fault in the last two goals that we conceded. So I, I do expect that change in the starting eleven. Yeah, I, I don't expect Gattuso to make too many changes to this squad for the balance of the season, really. I think there's really only two positions that are debatable, maybe three if you include the keeper. I'm hoping Meret finishes this season even with Ospina healthy again. I think he's earned it with his play lately. I mean, there have been a couple of questionable moments, but all in all, I think he's been good and we've been getting results with Meret in goal. Left back is always a question mark. I think Mario Rui makes a lot of sense for the reason you gave that with Udinese playing in that low block... I would caution people not to expect the exact same dominant performance from Osimhen in this match as we saw against Spezia because he's not going to have the same amount of space to play in. I think he'll still leave his mark on the game, but I think we're going to need contributions from players like Insigne, Zielinski, whoever starts on the right wing, but I do agree it'll probably be Politano at this point. And so by playing a player like Mario Rui, who's better at crossing the ball, I think that helps to break down that team. Generally, you want to have lots of movement, a lot of quick passes to break down that that low block. Let me quickly run through who I think will start for Udinese, and then we'll get to our keys to the match. Luca Gotti lines up in a 3-5-2, and he doesn't rotate a whole lot, so this should be a relatively easy lineup to predict. That said, Udinese don't play a whole lot of midweek fixtures, so maybe Gotti will rotate a little bit more for this one. I mentioned Juan Musso, he'll likely start in goal. Bram Neutink usually plays in the middle of the back three. Rodrigo Bacal picked up a knock against Bologna, so I think there are probably two possibilities that we could see with the center backs. Either Sebastian De Maio will start in Bacal's place on the center right, or we'll see Kevin Bonifazzi move over to center right and Samir come in to play at center left. Jens Strieger Larsen is the left wing back and Nahuel Molina is the right wing back. Rodrigo De Paul will start in the center of the midfield with Wallace to his left and Tolge Arslan to his right. And then finally, Stefano Okaka and Roberto Pereira should start together up top, though I think we may see Fernando Forestieri start over Pereira if Gotti wanted to rotate a little bit. 
So those are the starting lineups. In my previews, I mentioned that we like to do three keys to the match, which are things that Napoli need to do to win this match. So Dom, let me ask you, what do you think Napoli need to do to walk away with all three points here? I think they need to find space around that five midfield of Udinese. You know, it's it's a densely packed uh, midfield that they have, very athletic, very good on the ball to break. Uh, if they do intercept a pass. So I think a key in the game is don't lose the ball in that midfield. Don't expose yourself to the counterattacks. But yeah, you need to play the triangles around it. You need to at times be brave, play that triangle, because actually once you get past that midfield, then if Insigne and Politano are good enough to stretch out those three centre-backs, then there's going to be some space for Zielinski and Osimen to do something centrally. And in fact, maybe because of that, we might see Lozano start instead of Politano just to stretch out the three centre-backs a bit more. Because I think if you put in Politano and he cuts into the left, into his left foot, then you're actually crowding out that centre of the field even more than maybe you want to. So maybe this might be Lozano's game. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I think one of the key is, is that midfield not losing the ball and playing those triangles. Yeah, I think obviously a key part to that Udinez in midfield is Rodrigo De Paul. He leads the team in both goals and assists. He has nine of each. And I think if you stop De Paul, you basically stop Udinez. The problem that they have is they don't get a whole lot of production anywhere else in the squad. They've only scored 40 goals all year. That's third worst in the league. Only Benevento and Parma have scored fewer goals than Udinese have and and that's cost them I I mentioned those last two results which they easily could have won had they scored a second goal prior to the Juve game they lost 1-0 to Torino they lost 1-0 to Cagliari two teams that they were competing with at the time for survival now in the end it looks like it's not going to matter and they tied Genoa 1-1 so for me I think it's also important that we score at least two goals and that's sort of another key for me that if we score those two goals, then there's a very good chance we're going to win because Udinese generally only score one or none. So, yeah, maybe it does make sense for Lozano to start. And, and like we said earlier, Gattuso can just kind of watch how that's playing out. And if it's not working, then he can bring Politano off the bench or vice versa. I do think, though, that if we can score an early goal, then that will force Udinese to open up a little bit. And then Osimen can be effective again, especially on the counterattack. So let's close the pod with some predictions. What do you think will be the outcome for this match, Tom? I think, as you said, two goals required. And I think Napoli will get those two goals. And this is, you know, wishful thinking and hopeful thinking, but I'm hoping we get a clean sheet. So 2-0 to Napoli. Yeah, pretty similar to me. I'm, I'm going to go with 2-1 just because they like to make a sweat. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give Vincinia to get a goal to get out of this little funk that he's in at the moment. And I'll give Osimhen the other goal just because he's on such good form right now. And then for Udinese, the only player that I can think of that will score is Rodrigo De Paul. And maybe it's a moment of brilliance or penalty, though. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to jinx anything. So we'll wrap it up there. Dom, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on to chat with me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is always mine. Once again, you can find Dom's show on YouTube. Just search for Napoli Talk. I highly recommend it. You can also find him on Twitter at Napoli Talk and on Instagram at Official Napoli Talk. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. 
I'll be back with another episode later in the week to review this Udinese game and to preview the Fiorentina one. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.